Hello and welcome to another episode of the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters and alongside me through the magic of the internet is Josh Roller. We are coming at you pre-recorded from the beautiful state of Indiana on this wonderful fall afternoon. If this is your first time listening, I want to say thank you and be sure to follow Josh and I on Twitter. Uh, me being at rpeters33, at r-p-e-e-t-e-r-s-3-3, and Josh being at roller underscore zero one, r-o-l-l-e-r underscore zero one. And uh, you can also follow the show itself on Twitter at Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds. And uh, so I had a wonderful birthday weekend this weekend. I, it was great. My birthday was on Saturday. Yes, happy birthday, uh, yeah. Rob. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I am 24 now, so I, I guess it's a good number. Yeah, people like me again. Um, you know, nobody likes you when you're 23, the old Blink-182 song, and now people like me again because I'm 24, <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, that's – and, yes, 24 is a good number. I was – as I, I'm Jeff Gordon years old now. I would probably say that when I was a kid. That's probably yeah. what I would. I said uh, it when I, I said it when I turned twenty four. I'm Jeff Gordon years old now. It's fine. You can say it as an adult. <laughs> okay, so I'm glad that we, we we have the same exact thought process. Yeah, uh, that makes me very happy. I'm glad that uh, we we think the same way. All right, so we've got a bit. We've got a lot to cover on the show tonight. I know that we there was only like a, a couple of races this weekend, uh, at least in the United States. There were bigger ones outside of outside of the United States, but we don't really cover those because. Neither of us really watch them. <laughs> um, if I watch them, I'll probably cover them. But uh, I didn't get a chance to because, like I said, it was my birthday. And sometimes on your birthday, when you don't get to watch a lot of college football, that's what you want to do. You want to watch college football. So I watched college football and I watched racing. So let's go ahead and uh, jump into it because the first race we're going to talk about this weekend was the NASCAR Xfinity Series Use Your Melon Drive Sober 200. Uh, interesting name. I feel like uh, Dover always sells their naming rights to a PSA of some kind. Um, like it's always a public act- service announcement. Yeah, it's so. Well, I think uh, I think they have watermelon growers out there. Their watermelon distribution. Ross Chastain was talking about this one time. It's why he raced this race for for Johnny Davis. I was gonna say yeah, it's like it's something to do with that big, big, big something out there. And I, I forgive me, I, I can't remember. But now that you mentioned like the PSA thing, it reminded me of that. But yeah, there's something to do with watermelons in Delaware. So okay, yeah, watermelons um, in Delaware. All I think right. there's a connection. Interesting. There. All right. Well, I mean, I'll have to look it up. I mean, I, I, I don't know where you grow watermelons. I guess Florida, because Ross Chastain's from Florida. But I didn't think that Delaware would be prime watermelon growing places but good for them all right so cole custer captured his seventh victory of the 2019 campaign wow seven seven victories uh on saturday and four xfinity series drivers were cut from the playoffs justin allgaier ended up winning both stage one and two and traded the lead with austin Sidrick and chase briscoe uh before cole custer was able to make the uh pass for the lead and he ended up being the the dominant car uh and he led 31 of the closing 32 laps. Um, Miles the Monster didn't take three turns before he decided to strike playoff drivers. Uh, So lap one, turn two, uh, Tyler Reddick's the first car. He gets loose uh, off the corner, and he hits the wall, but he's all right. I mean, he just nicks the wall, barely. Uh, And he continues. He's going to finish 12th, right? But But then it's Brandon Jones who receives the punctured radiator when Harrison Burton loses control uh, off turn number two, and uh, he spins, and Jones just you know rear ends him, just picks the whole picks picks the whole rear end off the ground and everything. 
uh, it was whew, yikes. I, I mean, I I was like, you know, it's we're not strangers to big big ones at Dover. You no, know, and it's happened before. But and I thought we were in in for one. You know, you wreck wreck uh, at the front of the field when everybody's all bunched up like that. It, I, I was surprised as many people got away unscathed as they did. Uh, it's just unfortunate that uh, Brandon Jones and Harrison Burton were not among those who were saved. Now, another uh, thing that's the surprising thing is that you had two cars get loose just about the same time. And mm-hmm. they, I don't, I didn't hear really explanation. This got loose, or there was something on the track. I think Harrison Burton mentioned in his TV interview that he was told five different reasons why he spun out and one of them could have been fluid on the track it's possible um on lap but, one if you've got fuel fluid on the track that's kind of pathetic yeah well you know some could have been leaking right there on the last like the corner or uh the last warm-up lap who knows but they to only have on especially at the front of the pack and only have two cars really involved in this accident i don't know if that's just dumb luck or a testament to the driving ability um i think it's a little bit of both at a track like Dover. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely a little bit of both because there's just no way, uh, there's just no way you you can avoid the track. Like uh, the track, they keep saying is is self cleaning. There's just no way you can avoid cars that are just coming down off the track, off the banking. Like where do you go? Do you go high? Do you go low? Yeah. Oh well, if I go high, hopefully that the cars are out of the way by then. But if I go low, I gotta hope that nobody someone wasn't hits me. Yeah, someone wasn't hit, or someone going high, and someone isn't. Falling down the track and clip someone in the in the right rear and they shoot up on the track uh, towards the wall and they hit you, you know that it's it's a it's a dangerous predicament on the restarts there uh, at Dover and it's um, I think a lot of guys got lucky that, that on that initial start there. Yeah, I think really that that whole first first lap was was just was just crazy. I mean, I, I, it wasn't really a full lap; it was basically half a lap. But you know, it it was a situation where wow everybody's sideways coming off the corner what do we do we're dirt tracking this here um anyway so playoff drivers we had some serious playoff implications essentially christopher bell had carburetor issues in the first stage of the race but he was locked into the next round and he didn't really care i I don't think he cared all that much he didn't have to sweat his 25th place finish uh non-playoff driver jeremy clements dropped out with engine issues on lap nine it's a crazy Uh, first couple of laps there at dover yeah, no, I, I mean, the same can be said for the cup race, too. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff just didn't didn't go well for what seemed like anybody uh, throughout the first few uh, laps of the race. Mm-hmm. But uh, So only 22 cars were running out of the full 38-car field at the end of the race. Um, so, and, and you made this note here, he may have dropped out after 55 laps, but Landon Castle was behind the wheel of the 89 uh, from Morgan Shepard. And he was running in the mid twenties before dropping out to finish twenty ninth. Actually, a season best for that car. So, yeah. wow! Actually, after fifty five laps and still finishing a season best of twenty twenty ninth. Oh, okay. You know, I I I guess the attrition rate was just that high. Um, but he was like running, and and I was like, even before a couple of these guys dropped out, like he was running ahead of them. Like this is got to be the bestest car running with this cars on the track. Yeah, um, I think Landon Castle is really. I don't know what it is, but he to just take that car that morgan shepherd car every time he gets back behind the wheel of it and he puts that that car in places where it should not be yeah, yeah <laughs> you know that car should not be winning or not to say winning but not like performing as well as it is yet castle just drives it as if it's no big castle's deal. a better driver than i think a lot of people think and if he's able to take a car like that that 
doesn't have that funding, doesn't have that push. Um, it's good to see him. You know, he showed what he can do. I mean, he got qualified that card ninth at Las Vegas. So, um, what was uh, one of the things I, th- I I noticed too about this race um, on the fresh tires? There wasn't a whole lot of change in in time, but yet rubber was being laid down, which kind of shocked me. I was, uh, you know, I don't know if it, what it was with this a concrete service playing tricks on all of us or, or what there, but what was your thoughts on that? If you had I any, I think it could have been, I, I think it was definitely the concrete surface, but a lot of it could be to the, just, just the way the cars react now. Um, you know, they are heavier and Goodyear definitely brings a lot harder tire to the racetrack now. So, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't really surprise me all that much to see, you know, tires putting down rubber, but not necessarily wearing. Um, and maybe they could be wearing in, you know, a, a, a down to the point, a factual standpoint. But, you know, when it comes to just with your own eyes, yeah, these cars are not slowing down. They're not having to, to you know, breathe the throttle. They're not having handling issues when the tires fall off. Um, it was it was actually surprising to see that, but also not because I feel like we've seen that many times. You know, we see that constantly whenever we're talking about NASCAR in 2019. You know, this isn't a, a new thing for us. I mean, it's it's interesting to see it happen in the Xfinity series where you typically tend to think that this problem wouldn't be as obvious. But, you know, it was definitely in the Xfinity series. Uh, but, you know, it didn't seem to hinder passing because it did seem like, you know, guys could still, you know, make runs on guys and, and, and get by one another and pass more or less easily. Uh, it was probably about easier than the Cup cup race I yeah that. i would agree with that um you know because especially because when we get into talking about the point situations it looked like you know it was easier for guys to make up points because especially when passing is so key and critical to you know making or dropping out of the playoffs you know i, I feel like this was a situation where guys had to be able to pass and I think mm-hmm. they were able to. It's just a matter of they weren't able to run another guy down, make them run down their tires because just tire wear did what didn't seem to be that big. Yeah. So let's go review the uh, kind of how the race ended with the playoffs here. Um, you know, by races in, there were seven spots uh, spots of the eight available clinched. Uh, many of those uh, coming via points in that race, and it came down to Michael Annette, John Hernandez, and Justin Haley. Uh, Annette was among the seven cars left on the lead lap on the final restart, and all he had to do was just finish. There's only a few laps left. All he had to do was avoid trouble, finish in the top seven. He's good. He's good to go. Uh, except he had Justin Haley, who was also on the lead lap, restarted third, and he wins. Um, he's advancing. But you can't go up there and race. And he was behind him. Annette was behind him. So you can't go up there and race him and try to keep him from there. I don't think Annette even had the car to do that. Um, so he just, it was, his fate was a little, was a little bit in his hands and a little bit in another guy's hands. And sometimes that's, that's kind of a little bit of a rare rarity, uh, past couple of years where you sort of can control your destiny a little bit, but that was just because there's so few cars on the track, but John under Nemechek lapped down all he had, he had to hope that Annette had an issue. Um, and he unfortunately did not happen and Annette moves on via points. And so that knocks out Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg. Justin Haley and John Hunter Nemechek from the playoffs. So how did how did we do this week uh, with our yeah, first I'm round predictions to see here? How we did. 
because uh, it looks like, according to this, you picked Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Ryan Sieg, John Nemechek. You got three right because Gregson wasn't eliminated. I picked Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg, Michael Annette, and John Nemechek. I got three right too. Yeah, Michael Annette did not did not get eliminated. So you know, hey, we did pretty we did pretty okay. I like yeah, to we, think we did pretty okay. Yeah, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be an interesting round to watch this next uh, the the round of eight. Where uh, Christopher Bell is plus forty eight, Cole Custer is plus thirty six, Tyler Reddick's plus thirty, and then in fourth, Cindric only has a three point clearance over the cutoff line, and Allgaier is back three, Briscoe is back four, and that's back eight, and Gregson's back twelve. It's going to be a fun Kansas Texas and <laughs> ISM Raceway round, that is for sure. You know, so I always you- really really like the round of eight, especially because. You know, I feel like it's one of those it's one of those situations where you've got three races coming up here that are going to be probably some of the most intense because you know usually when you get down to this point, it's the eight best drivers. Period. Like have been great all season, have been running up at the front all season, have been having top ten, top five finishes the entire time, mm-hmm. yeah. and we're looking at a situation where this is just going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. I feel like. Especially because we're looking at situations in which, you know, um, you know, a lot of these guys, especially Christopher Bell, Cole Custer, Tyler Reddick, you know, Justin Allgaier too, are really, really good drivers, and they've had good, good runs this entire season. You know, Allgaier is going to need to win. I think that's just gonna, that's just the way things are going to be. Allgaier is going to flat need to win. Briscoe, Annette, and Gregson could probably race their way in if they have good finishes, um, I, but they'll probably have to win as well. I mean, Allgaier, Allgaier probably has the best chance to, to race his way in without having won, but he's going to need to win at some point, and the fact is he hasn't, you know, we've seen it be possible. You could point yeah. your way into the Final Four uh, yeah. easily with Ryan Newman doing it in the first season of its conception. But again, that doesn't mean that. I mean, Allgaier would have to be ultra, ultra consistent the next three races, and I just, I mean, he's gonna have to win stage one and two the next three, like he did at Dover, yeah. the next three races in order to really have a shot at uh, at being there, pointing his way in. Uh, and even then, he's gonna have to have a great finish at Homestead to even have a shot at the championship. Because if he finishes what ninth at Homestead and it's Bell wins the race, enough. I mean, it's over. I think. Th- Think, looking at this, I think this might be, and and you could make arguments for this. I think this might be one of the strongest round of eights the Xfinity Series has had. Um, Gregson's a little bit of a surprise. Um, Michael Annette, he three of the, net, of the last four races here are mile and a half, and that's where that car has done the best this year. I don't think um, you could count out Michael Annette. Michael Annette has had a no. really really good season from a consistency standpoint. Yes. I mean. Compared to his previous seasons in the Xfinity series, he's just kind of been an also ran. Uh, but Annette has really stepped it up. He's been running top five, top ten most of the season. Yes. You know, it's he hasn't really, you know, he's not lighting the world on fire. He's not winning all the time, but he did win at Daytona, which in and of itself is an accomplishment that I don't think anybody could take away from him. And nor anyone nor should anyone take it away from him. No. But for the most part, he's just been having a an statistically better season than I think he has the past several seasons he's been running in Xfinity. Yeah. So good for Michael and Ed. And I, I, I it's going to be tough for him, don't get me wrong, to get into the championship four. But to have made it to the round of eight is still 
you know, I think if anything, that shows just how good of a run that him and his team have had this so, so far this season. Yeah, I, and, and I look at this. I think I, I think you know, Bell, Custer, and Reddick. When you look at that, I, I think a lot of people are thinking, well, they're shoe, your shoe ins to the to the championship four. But I think Austin Cindric, Justin Allgaier, and Chase Briscoe are scaring them because I think any of those three guys can win the one of these next three races. And if two of those guys win, I only leaves two of this big three room for two of the th- big three. Mm. So, um, man, I, I, I mean, Briscoe has been running really well since he got that since like July 4th race at Daytona. I feel like he's been a different driver. Cindric's been knocking on the door, uh, with, with a couple things go, go right. Uh, the right way, he can might wind, wind up winning one of these races, and all guy can win anywhere. Um, just unfortunately, hasn't been able to do it this year, and that team has stepped it up since August. So I think the road course has kind of got that 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 crew that team back on its track there. So I, it's going to be fun to watch if one of those uh, those lighter three, Cindric, All Guy, and Briscoe win. That's going to put a lot of pressure on the other two. I think yeah. more so because then they go, okay, I think we have to win now. We have to win. So that will be fun. That'll be fun. This is going to be a fun round of eight to watch in the Xfinity series. I might, I might even go as far as say maybe even more so than the cup series, just for that reason right there. There I said it. No, I, I'm not, I don't think that's all that controversial of a take. Like I, I still think, you know, cause the, the competition level in the Xfinity series, we look at it and you know, there's a huge gap from maybe, like 12th to first and then 12th on back, you know, but from a standpoint, but, but that's not a bad thing because now we're, we, we, we have the cream of the crop going for the championship. And I, I don't see a situation or a scenario where that's a bad thing, you know, to see the cream of the crop go and, and, and just be there at the, at the top, at the front where it, when it matters most, you know, you're going to get duels, not just on track, but you know, you know, in, in the garages, you know, guys trying to take and on, on pit road, guys trying everything that they can in order to gain points, gain track position, because, you know, at certain tracks where passing is just flat difficult or flat impossible because this package is stupid um, for one way or another. I actually, I shouldn't say that because, you know, I still think that the, um, the Xfinity series package is, is a lot better than, than the cup package, but, you know, still a track position, no matter what is key. So you're going to see a lot of guys taking some crazy uh, gambles and you're going to probably see some guys racing a little bit harder than they normally would while also points racing at the same time, if that makes any sense. Uh, it, it's just going to be interesting. I think you're, you're hitting the nail right in the head there. It's going to be probably one of the most interesting Xfinity series championships we've seen in a while. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm just agreeing <laughs> with you. Um, so we're talking about Xfinity series and I think, it's great. We could talk about the Xfinity series far more because they put it on a great, decent show uh, this past weekend. But let's talk about some nostalgia. Let's talk about some happy times. Our <laughs> feature paint scheme of the year, of the week, is going to go take us back to a... I, actually, I can't even say simpler time because 2001 was a very changing year overall. Mm-hmm. For like, I, felt, I feel like almost every aspect, like not just in, in real world but in sports as well and in, in all different kinds of, uh, you know, in, in, in television, heck, yeah. I mean, in, in a bunch of other different reasons. 
but anyway, so let's talk about our feature paint scheme, 2001 NASCAR Winston Cup Series. Josh, you picked one that's pretty interesting, and, and I know it's so hard to pick mm-hmm. because this yeah. season just had so many great uh, paint schemes, and almost all of them felt like changed from 2000 to 2001. It felt Agreed. like almost everybody had some kind of a new paint scheme. Agreed. Everybody was moving to some new team or something. Um, or someone was switching to a new manufacturer because Dodge had come back. Dodge mm-hmm. had come back, and they were running the Intrepid, which objectively, looking back on it, is a good-looking car, though I prefer the Charger. Uh, so, yeah, Josh, what's your feature paint scheme of the week? Well, like our previous 20 featured paint schemes, it's a tough choice. <laughs> um, but this is the year I became a NASCAR fan. So I think it's natural that so many of my favorite like top favorite NASCAR paint schemes come from this year and they come from the 2001 Winston cup series. And, uh, I I went down and I said, I'm going to decide this the only fair way possible. And that is to choose what was my first NASCAR diecast. And my first NASCAR diecast that my parents bought for me was Jeff Burton's, uh, Sicko Ford, the 99 Sicko Ford. They drove for Jack Roush. Um, you know, you had it was like a split base, had the white bottom, then it had the, like the blue top, and then it had the the Sicko red and orange uh, splitting the two. Um, it had the super guard Sicko along the side above the rear tires, which was unique to Burton's 2001 car, and then the couple races he drove it at the end of the 2000 season. Um, Elliot Sadler had previously had it on his car for Wood Brothers, but uh, maybe maybe one of the more bolder things I'll say, because there are some good looking Sitco paint schemes out there in, in, in NASCAR's history. I think this one is my favorite Sitco paint schemes. You know, I, I apologize to the Wood brothers. Um, even better than the 2000 scheme on the Wood brothers. Car. Yeah, I know. That's one I, of my favorites. That is a good one. That's like second favorite though. I, I will say that. Um, but yes, I do think it's better. Um, Burton won two races that year. He won the Coca-Cola 600. And then he won the checkered auto parts 500 at Phoenix that year. Uh, he finished 10th in the standings. And that win at Phoenix was the last time he won with Jack Roush and would be his, uh, he wouldn't win again until uh, 2006 at the fall race at Dover for RCR. Um, again, just one of my favorite cars. You know, I, I still have the die cast. In fact, I think I don't think I've only given away one of my one 24th scale die casts in my life. Um, and you know, I, that one is still one of my favorites. Um, and it will always be one of my favorites. So, uh, Rob, I have to say, I really like yours, uh, your pick that yours has a sentimental connection to me, um, for, for other different reasons. Um, but why don't you go ahead and tell everyone about it? Yeah. So uh, mine, I feel like a lot of people tend to really like this scheme, maybe a lot more than I ever did. Uh, but it was a tough choice for me because there's just so many, there's so many interesting stories that you can tell when you look back on the 2001 season and all the things that could have come out of it, all the things that should have come out of it, all the things that ended up actually coming out of it. Uh, a lot of schemes changed uh, designs from 2000 to 2001, especially with you know the manufacturer changes and things like that. Uh, but this is, I, I picked this one because it was interesting. I was, I was just browsing Facebook the other day, and um, I get this ad, and, you know, Facebook ads are everywhere now. You can't avoid them. They, they're part of your life, so you just have to just deal with them, I guess. Uh, but apparently, 
they're bringing back the Amico brand. And yeah, they're doing that. One located on the east side of Indianapolis. I've not been there because I don't tend to go to the east side to afraid. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I thought, you know, hey, if they're bringing the Amico brand back, let's talk about the last time an Amico car ran in NASCAR. So uh, I decided to pick uh, Dave Blaney's number 93 Amico Dodge Intrepid. Uh, and I've always admired this. I've always thought it was a cool-looking car. I actually had the diecast as well, but I had his 2000 diecast. Uh, and I, I don't know how we got him, but I know we had Amico diecasts of a sprint car, or no, a World of Outlaws, out, World of Outlaws um, winged midget car, which was cool. Uh, and then a uh, what was it? Um, someone's uh, pop fuel dragster, or no, funny yeah. car. Funny car. Uh, I know. I, I, I. The name is escaping me right now. I think I know it's Alan. I, I'm, I don't think it's Alan Thompson or something. But I don't know. Whatever. My point is, I had all of those diecasts, and it was pretty interesting at the time. Um, uh, so I, I, I was really, I was really interesting. It was really interesting to look at all of those. But anyway, so I like this scheme because even though I liked the previous one a lot because it was on a Pontiac Grand Prix, and in my humble opinion, every scheme looked good on a Pontiac Grand Prix. But yeah. this one, honestly, still looks really good on a Dodge Intrepid because um, I think that the Dodge Intrepid still looks pretty good. Um, maybe, maybe history won't be as kind to it, but I might be, probably because of the nostalgia. I don't know. But uh, you've got this white fade on the hood, and it kind of fades into this black base. It wasn't like a hard transition from the white into the black. Uh, it was it was more of a fade, which I always thought was really, really a neat kind of touch that they did. And you had gold numbers and uh, red and blue stripes at the back. Uh, now, this is what was weird. They ended up changing the, the colors of the number from gold to red uh, about you know a few races into the season. But I've never counted that because I always thought the red numbers just kind of made it look lame. You know, you had to have... The, the gold numbers. The gold numbers were, were just what made the car. Um, but anyway, so Dave Blaney actually ran pretty well. He had a couple of top 10 finishes this season. Uh, he had a best finish of sixth place at Texas that year uh, and ended up finishing 22nd in points. Uh, however, Blaney would leave Bill Davis Racing at the end of the 2001 season uh, and uh, due to actually sponsorship concerns. So uh, that that is the last time I believe I have seen an Amico car grace a NASCAR weekend, unfortunately. And now, you know, they did end up running a BP scheme back then, which I still think looked amazing back then, too. It did. Uh, it did look I was good. a big fan of that. Uh, if I could get the die cast of it, I'd like it sometime. So, uh, Josh, what did you, you do? You have anything to add on uh, uh, my uh, feature? Yeah. Scheme? Yeah. Well, you know, the BP was a good looking one. Uh, like, I think it was around that time. BP. You know, British Petroleum got a hold of Amico and were converting all the gas stations to BP one. So I think that's why we you saw the exit there. It's good to see him come back. I, I because of that scheme, I really like Amico as a brand. And I know that's just really weird. It's just a really weird thing to say. No, no, but, I'm the same way. Yeah, but you you mentioned all those diecasts. I have to say Amico was a plus in what anyone should do when it comes to like branding and in your promoting of your sponsorship. You know, one of the little diecasts I got, a 164 scale, my dad got at a gas station on it. one of his trips. He would sometimes bring gifts home for my sisters and I and because he was gone a little bit uh, from time to time. And, and one of his stops, got that car, and, and you're right. You could buy any diecasts that you want, even like the really silly ones. I would like the, 
like were Hot Wheels ones that were like modeled after like roadsters from the 30s. You could buy those there. And then oh, that's die-cast. fantastic. I just had to say one thing that was a little disappointing. It this car in and Dave Blaney himself was not featured in NASCAR Thunder 2002, which was sad. Um, once I realized that it wasn't in there, um, because that 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 paint scheme is definitely a good looking one that you want to drive. Um, I wonder if it was in um, NASCAR Heat 2002. Nah, I'll have to check. I'll have to I don't think check. it was in. I don't think he was in NASCAR Heat. I don't think it, I have that game. They made like a couple of NASCAR games that that season. Yeah, I, I don't think it was. I don't remember it anyways. I know. I know Burton Ward Burton, the other Bill Davis driver, was in both games. I yeah. think it was. A, I think it was a sponsorship rights issue, and it might have had something to do with the whole BP transition. So maybe. Yeah, that's probably. I think that's well, my that, my that's issue. Makes me wonder is because you know I I, I wonder that I'm gonna have to check now because I know I have I have NASCAR Heat 2002 yeah. for the Xbox. Uh, I don't have it for the PS2, but I'll have to I'll have to get it and then double check that version. But I'm 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 just I'm just interested. I'm interested to see if maybe because I know that came out before before uh, the BP transition took place. Because the Heat games would always be made early in the season, and then the yeah. Thunder games would come out later in the season. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, yeah, I, I, that was a good good feature paint scheme. I think there's so many good ones to pick. Like we were going before, I, there's a bunch of them I could have picked on, on that one. And I know yours is definitely one of my favorites. <laughs> but I since I could not decide, I had to go with, I just went with the first diecast I have. But yours is a great pick. So why don't we move on and talk about the other big race of the weekend? Yeah, there was another big race this weekend uh, that was uh, also conveniently at Dover. <laughs> conveniently. <laughs> The Drydeen 400, which is, I don't know what Drydeen is still. Um, I think it, I don't know what it is. I, I know they sponsored the race. I don't know what the heck they are. It sounds like a concrete brand of some kind. <laughs> That's what I always think. Like, whenever I don't know what some of these are, I'm just I like, guess what it is. A concrete brand or something. We're going to Dover. Of course, it's got to be a concrete brand, right? Be- um, in a day that Miles the Monster couldn't keep his hands off of playoff drivers, Kyle Larson stood above the rest and won the Drydeen 400 in his sixth career win and ended a 75-race winless streak since his last victory at Richmond in September of 2017. Holy schmoly, that's been a long time. Martin yeah. Truex Jr. was dealt a minor blow from Monster Mile with a rear tire changer was slow on the right rear, and he slipped coming around to the left rear and finally had to change the direction of the air gun after the fall, which cost him multiple positions on pit road late in the race and handed the lead to Kyle Larson. Uh, Truex Jr. did, however, go on to finish second. Uh, Joey Logano, however, didn't even take the green flag. It felt like all mass chaos and pandemonium was breaking yeah. out before the race even started. Uh, a broken axle sent him to the garage, and he would enter the track on lap 23. He would finish the race 34th. Uh, Chase Elliott was then struck with a last week's winner, right? Yeah. Ch- last week's winner, guy who comes from wreckers to checkers. Uh, ends up in, uh, with a blown engine on lap eight. Like I said, complete pandemonium. Uh, he finished 38th as a result. And uh, Josh, you saw on Twitter where NASCAR man tweeted that the last Hooters-sponsored car that won with Alan Kowicki uh, in, at Pocono in June of 1992, and they are 0-165 since. So Hooters has not seen themselves win a race since 1992. Yeah. Yeah, the guy called it the the Hooters curse continues, and um, it, it it's definitely 
something to consider, I guess, at this point. But he's ran well with the Hooters car before. And it was it was surprising because uh, going into Sunday's race, Chase has had six top tens in his seven starts there. And really? so that uncharacteristically bad day at Dover for him, and it just unfortunate that a blown engine kept him from moving on. I, I think a lot of people are blaming, again, Miles the Monster on it. I think you could probably blame that, but, you know, also, it, yeah, I think you could blame a couple of – if you're superstitious, you might as well go ahead and say that Miles the Monster and whoever's in charge of curses decided to work that one out and say, ha-ha, Chase Elliott, ha-ha, Sherrod, you are. Uh, you're, you're, you're gone. Yeah, everyone was hyping this roundup too much for them, so they said, hey, we're going to make it hard on it at Talladega in uh, Kansas. So. Yeah, because now it's they're in a situation where they have no other option. They have to win. I don't know about that. We'll, we'll see. Have you seen the points? He's only I've seven points point. out. He's only seven points out. And Talladega is such a wild card. Well, uh, if he wins, then he's fine. If he, yeah, if he wins, he's fine. But also, you could have a couple guys in front. We were kind of skipping ahead here, but you guys have guys in a couple front that have issues. And him and like Logano and and Boyer, both all three of those guys uh, are are better off for another driver who had issues, Ryan Blaney, uh, when he lost his brakes, and then he went behind the wall and and finished where he finished thirty fifth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, he kind of helped them out because at some points they were got they were. Like Logano and Elliott were 20 points out of eighth place. And now Logano's tied with William Byron, who was running in the top seven and then had a pit road speeding penalty under green uh, flat conditions. And he never did get his lap back. And he finished 13th. And he had a car that that should have had a better point today than that. And you're like saying 13th's not bad. You're right. It's not bad, but he could have had a much better. So, therefore, he's eighth in points, zero points above the cut line vir- by virtue of his better finish this round over Joey Logano. And then what, Blaney is 22 back. Yeah, Blaney's 22 back. He's the one who's in a uh, situation. And a lot of that's going to, a lot of their di- situation is going to be dictated like how does Talladega go for them? And Kansas could get very, very interesting. So, um, let's see. Larson's advancing. Truex is plus 63. Uh, remember, if you're plus 56, uh, if you don't have a win, you're plus 56 at, with one race to go, you're automatically locked in. Uh, then Kyle Busch is plus 48. Hamlin's plus 48. Harvick's plus 42. Kozlowski's plus 20. Bowman's plus 17. He had a really good day. And then Byron is eighth and plus zero. And like yeah, we mentioned, he's tied at- with Logano right now for eight. Yeah. Yeah, but but he gets a tiebreaker, so uh, but because of his better finish this round. So, and I have mentioned here again that was I, mean, I was just so puzzled by it has I, I don't know if it, like you mentioned it's concrete or or what, but I was just so puzzled. And I've never seen a track rubber in like Dover, and it, the passing was difficult, and and lap times were not that much better after green flag pit stops and. Uh, but I think in this, in this case, it was just so much dirty air that guys couldn't get close enough if their cars were equal, uh, yeah, or, not equal just, but, or, or similar uh, in speed. Yeah, no, the dirty air problem was just ridiculous on Sunday. Um, and I, I think it's, it's – we talk about this week in and week out constantly, and I try not I, – I, I don't want to make it seem like – this is all I'm paying attention to when I watch NASCAR because it's really not. I'm trying to pay attention to other things too, but it's really, really difficult. 
if you go back and watch a race from not even all that long ago, like 10 years ago, even with the car of tomorrow, just how hard it is now to pass. I mean, I feel like you can't get under a guy. You know, I, I feel like even like this is the thing that blows my mind. Is I did, and I didn't think about this and I never felt like this was true back then. But now looking looking at it from a retrospective standpoint, I do think it's very true is that cars moved around so much more 10 years ago. Cars were moving around, slip sliding around, tires were falling off, you know, and, and I, I sit here and I think about 2009 as being one of the worst seasons when it comes to NASCAR racing overall, where the racing quality was just not good. I think I remember the California race, the Pepsi 500 from Labor Day or something being probably one of the worst races I've ever watched in my life. And that was really the moment when I realized that NASCAR now was kind of on this downhill spiral and of of just making bad decisions and it it feels like watching this race at Dover where it looked like the speeds were up like these guys were clearly just oh, flat yeah. flying around there yeah uh, it, it makes Dover look really really fast and and it looks kind of cool but again it's so frustrating when you can watch a guy run behind someone else and they get so close to them and then the moment that they get some dirty air, their car shoots up the racetrack, and they lose two seconds. Well, and, and like what? It's like what? the only way there a lot of these some of these guys, like Truex Jr., your car either has to be so many tenths faster mm-hmm. or have so much more grip. Your car is just more stable. And that's what Truex and Cole Pern are nailing as of late, is that their car they're just making their cars better. It's either Truex, is, I think Truex is a great driver, do not get me wrong, but he, he's a wheel man with these setups that Cole Perm gives him. And uh, a lot of these passes, what we'll get to in a second, like with Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano, it's like some of these passes were committed when the guy in front of you ran into traffic, caught traffic at a bad time, mm-hmm. or they made a mistake, or they got in dirty air, or they were pinched down because they tried to make a pass, didn't succeed, uh, and therefore, they lose a couple of positions as a result. Um, it's nice to see, you know, these guys were having to pedal sometimes through the corner um, and, and really work it through. And they weren't flat out all the way around. Dover looks fast in general. I mean, it's just the way the track mm-hmm. is set up and how close everything is. Dover looks like they're going 230 miles an hour. In reality, they're going not not anywhere close to that. Uh, but they're going more like what 180 or something like that. So, but it's that was a little frustrating to see as well. The good news is if there is a good news, I went back and looked through the past couple of years on our, our good friend racing reference. There were more passes in this race, green flag passes this race. than there were in some previous races, some races even break a thousand green flag passes. So that's, that's good to see. Well, you fooled uh, me. Um, but exactly. You could have fooled me. I just think, I don't know. I think I think this package. It just some some weeks you're like, man, this package is great, and then some weeks you're like, this package is not good. And that is a lot based off of the track you're going to, the conditions you have. Um, but let's move on to the one thing here where, where Denny Hillman got really mad at Joey Logano. You know, like, why is Denny Hillman mad at Joey Logano? He's multiple laps down. Well, he was racing him really, really hard, and um, Logano was. I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but the first thought that came to my mind, this is the first thought that came to my mind. Like Logano, you know, said like, you know, I'm out here racing. If there's a situation where, um, if I, if I can make up a couple more points, I need to do that because this is the playoffs. Right. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he was right behind Paul Menard, and Paul Menard is on the lead lap at the time, and Denny Hamlin is right behind Logano, and he's the leader, and he's looking to lap Menard. I don't know if there was a lot of – if there was a corporate gamesmanship there or if this was truly Logano wanting to race uh, Denny Hamlin hard. It was coming – I think it was – was, the end of the stage was approaching. Um, and then, you know, and Hamlin, you know, was was disappointed in him. He says, like, make up a position. He's 24 laps down. Um, he later kind of said, I probably shouldn't call him an idiot, but he said, that's the most idiotic statement I've ever heard. He almost just upset. He lost, he, he, he lost a stage as a result of it. Um, and he lost, I think he went back to third, uh, in that, in that whole, uh, incident. And, but what, did you have a problem with Joey Logano racing him hard and trying to maintain at least one lap bat, one lap, um, you know, instead of going 24 laps down or 25 laps down, he remains 24 laps down. Did you have a problem with that? Did you have a problem with him racing him hard, even with the leaders in second and third place coming up behind him? You know, I think it's a tough situation to look at because I feel like when you're a lapped car, you you should have to, you know, heed the position, especially if you're that many laps down. Uh, I think, in my opinion, what, yeah, yeah, I had a pro- I've had a bit of a problem with it. You know, maybe not at the time. I think at the time I was just like, oh, look. It's causing something good to happen. We can actually pass each other, or at least attempt to pass each other. You know, obviously that got negated as soon as anyone got around him. But, you know, if you're in a situation like Paul Menard was, where you are racing to stay on the lead lap, you have every right to hold up the leaders to stay on the lead lap. And that's a different situation. Logano, however, needs to know that, yeah, okay, so, so what? Your car is still competitive. doesn't matter. You're 24 laps down. You know, you can go ahead and go get the guy in front of you that you can pass, but you don't need to hold up the leaders in order to do that. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to pick your battles here. You know, the stage is going to end. The stage is coming up to end. You know, why don't you just go pit with two to go, take the wave around, get a lap back, and then just keep keep trying, keep going, keep trying to pass guys that are, you know, multiple laps down that are on the same lap as you that you might be able to pass you know, things like that. That's, that's how I'm feeling. If that, I feel like Logano didn't definitely didn't do it right. I, I, I understand that his heart was in the right position where he, he's sitting there thinking, dude, I got to run. I got to run for points. I can't screw around out here and be nice to everybody. I've got to, you know, keep getting points because if I'm going to defend my championship, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to do it. So I see it from, I see it from Logano's standpoint, but I also see it from, a racer's standpoint yeah. and when it comes to being courteous and being a, a racer you don't want to be in a situation where you affect the outcome of something you know and i i know it was only the end of a stage and not the end of the race so it doesn't really matter as much in, in the grand scheme of things yeah, but it's, hamlin never recovered and got back to first either too right exactly you know yeah. you're playing you're you put yourself right into a situation in which you indirectly affected the outcome of the race and you also then directly affected certain people's playoff out uh playoff results i mean i understand that logano's playoff results were screwed from the beginning but at the same time you can't be out there affecting other people's playoff positions even if you are a playoff driver i don't know and maybe he did that on purpose maybe he did that on purpose because he was just playing some mind games with some people to, to to screw them up to shake up the points i don't know but it worked because kyle larson won and he's gonna be in the round of eight and i don't think really a lot of people expected that i i i I think this is 
a product of the the way the championships decided. The rules of engagement have changed, mm-hmm. right? Your justification for the actions that you do or don't do or how you handle yourself on track have changed with the way we decide, the NASCAR decides a champion. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it, my thing is, okay, Joey, remember this next time that someone is holding you up. Right. And they're 20 laps down and they're in the playoffs. You know, if this is someone who is, say this is Daniel Suarez, I think you're going to look at the situation a tad bit differently because he's not racing for a championship. He's racing for 17th. While that's a championship on its own because you're the best of the non playoff drivers, you, 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 Logano is still in this championship. Or if this is Eric Jones, of course, if it's Eric Jones, he might pull up because his teammate. But let's say this is, uh, let's say this is Ryan Newman. This is Ryan Newman. He's 24 laps down. He's going to be tough to pass in general anyways. But this is this is a situation where I would say, Ryan Newman, yeah, I think it might be best for you to pull over. You are so many laps down. You There's really no way you're going to make up that many laps. Um, go ahead and pull over. But for Logano, if they, they might come down to where there's a wreck at the end, and he might be able to gain a couple more positions if he's 24 laps down as compared to 25 because he might run out of laps. It's 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 a different world. My thing is, I don't have a problem with it. It racers race, but remember you remember what you've done in the past, and when someone does it to you, have the appropriate response the way you know you wanted the response be response done to you. So, uh, you know that's my take. That's my take on it. Do I I, I see your point, and I you know I. I is it better for him to pull over and just take the lap down? Cause you're probably going to lose it anyways with so many laps that were left maybe, but you never know. There's a caution. You can stay out ahead of him and, or, or pull around and, 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 and save yourself a lap or, or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I that's my take on it. I, it. It's a tough situation to be in. And it's a, I, I get both points. Why Denny, Denny's upset cause he lost a, a stage. And that extra playoff point and an extra couple points for the standings. And Logano, he's wanting to preserve his right to fight for a championship. So it's a tough situation to be in. It really is. Yeah, I think that's 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 true. I mean, it's 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 a situation where we're talking about how how you race one another and some sometimes the way one the way one guy races and Another guy is totally different, you know. Logano, from Logano's standpoint, he might think that that was a totally justifiable move, and you know he might be totally he might understand somebody doing it to him in the future. But I can't see a situation where with that happening because, to be honest with you, if you're getting held up by a lapped car that's multiple laps down, you know, like I said, like I said earlier, it's one thing to be held up by a guy who's already in the lead lap, like Paul Menard in that situation. It's one guy. Yeah. I mean, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. He's trying racing to keep himself in the lead lap. But when you're 24 laps down, dude, just, just, just relax. Just you don't need to be racing these guys. You don't need to be affecting the outcome of the race. Um, well, the outcome of the race dictates your outcome too. Yeah, I exactly. mean, it, 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 it's it. I'm telling you, the rules of engagement. It's a mil- It's like a mil- that's that's it it's a rules of engagement uh, uh, that's what i'm going to coin it as uh, it, this racing and this playoff uh with stage points and and win points 
era that, that it's different. It's just different the way we grow. It's different from 2001. If this is 2001, it's completely unacceptable. Yeah, I don't no, think you're right. Defend that. But this is 2019, and I don't know. I I, I kind of have to. I kind of have to say I don't blame Logano for what he did and for how long he did it. I mean, if it was on purpose, no, I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him at all, but I still think that, you know, maybe he should use some better judgment because you never know when it's going to come back to bite you in the long run. Because let's say, you know, you never know if Hamlin gets eliminated. Let's say hypothetically we do what happens. Let's say hypothetically the same championship for his last season. If Denny Hamlin has a problem early in the race and he spins out and he loses a tire and he goes three laps down and at Homestead or something, and then he starts holding up Joey Logano, who ends up losing a championship. Maybe Logano will rethink what he just did. I yeah, mean, that's just and, that, and, and that's fair, and that's fair. But that's that's on Logano. That's on Logano. And and yeah, and, and I guess I guess when you look at it that way, Logano's racing for a championship at Homestead, whereas Hamlin wouldn't be in that hypothetical situation and, so and did that one lap save do you go back to dover can you trace him going back to dover and fighting off i don't know maybe I mean, it, 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 it it's crazy it's crazy so i don't know let's move on to the outstanding performance if you yeah. have nothing else to say rob i don't every I, time I'm you good. talk about rules of engagement it just makes me remember how much i dislike david spade so let's just keep going <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah let, let's move on so you don't all right, outstanding performances. So for me, back-to-back weekends in a row, it goes to Alex Bowman. Uh, he gets the nod for me. It was not easy to pass on Sunday, but he managed to pull off a third-place finish while keeping himself in contention for the championship. Uh, this might be one of his best week-to-week efforts I've seen in a while. Just Bowman is going to fight and claw his way into the round of eight one way or another, and I'm excited to see, to watch it. Um, I'm excited to see what happens next week at Talladega. If maybe he could stay up front, because you know Hendrick's Hendrick cars have always been really good at Talladega, and I really don't see a reason why they wouldn't be this year. Chase Elliott won this uh, at, in the spring. I have no reason why I couldn't could see Alex Bowman having a good season, good finish next week, because uh, he has had great finishes the last two weekends. Um, when really most people probably have counted him out by now. Are yeah. probably not even considered him as a th- as a serious threat, only having won one win, one race. But dude, man, Bowman is killing it when he needs to kill it. So that's why I'm giving mine to Alex Bowman. Josh, who's your outstanding performance? Well, and don't forget about this: Bowman, a second and a third place finish at Dover this year. He right, pretty good for him. And then he got second at Talladega, and then he got second at Kansas in the spring. So mm-hmm. he's the round of round of twelve is 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 maybe Bowman's best round. So I like your pick. That was uh, I definitely thought he he did, he's deserving of that. I gotta go to the one guy who just he just beat his arch nemesis the round of twelve, and that's Kyle Larson. I mean, not being able to get out of this. I mean, twenty seventeen, everyone was thinking Kyle Larson or twenty uh, yeah twenty seventeen. Yeah, everyone was thinking Kyle Larson's going to the championship four and he's going to win at Homestead, and then the round of twelve showed up and didn't treat him very well. Um, but you know, the big thing was, I think a lot of people were holding their breath, pass inspection, right? The 42 team is really holding their breath. We got pass inspection. Um, they got through it. Um, but the way he, he, he just handled himself really well. I was really impressed with the way he drove, particularly in the last 65 laps of that race. Um, I think at lap 50, he had like a 5.9 second lead over Truex. And then three laps later, it's down to like, 1.7 because he hit some lap traffic 
and he wasn't able to maneuver through them very well. And he's catching him at bad times. I think he hit like a wad of them all at once. And, you know, they're racing their own race too. And, you know, it kind of goes back to the Logano Hamlin situation, but he handled himself very well. Didn't freak out, didn't do anything rash. Um, or at least didn't visually look like it when you're watching it on television. Um, but he handled himself really well. And then he was, he kind of got back up to three and, and teetered back and forth there for a while. I think Truex had the better car at the end of that race. But Larson, with the help of his pit crew and then the help, you know, just him driving, I think he had a good car to get through traffic when it wasn't a wad. Um, but he handled himself really mature. Like, I think it's a, it's like a, a story where he's learned some lessons and he's wrecked a bunch of cars and he's matured. And there's a there's a big difference in the Kyle Larson we see in 2019 compared to 2018, you know, kind of let alone from the Kyle Larson we saw earlier this year. So I think he's definitely a threat for this championship. Um, I think he, the round of eight, he's not super psyched about that some of the tracks aren't his best. But you know what? Um, sometimes in these rounds, the the it brings the best out of these drivers. So I, Kyle Larson is my outstanding performance. It really comes down to the last 65 laps of that race. Um, yeah, but I really like yours too, Alex Bowman. It, it was a solid pick on that one and just the way he's he's raced and kind of the adversity he's gone through mm-hmm. um, since his win at Chicagoland in general. So really good pick. Cool. Awesome. And so as we move into the our next segment of the, of the show, which is the incredibly awesome uh, subject of upshift, downshift. Uh, if you're new to the show, again, let's go over. Uh, upshift means you agree. Uh, downshift means you disagree. So we're going to be presenting a series of hypothetical questions and or statements uh, to Josh and I, and we are going to decide whether or not we upshift or downshift. And you could play along at home as well. Uh, by tweeting the show at Robin Roller using the hashtag AskRobinRoller, you can answer these questions too, whether or not you upshift or downshift. Uh, but before we get into that, before we get into the upshift and downshift, I want to say that we have some breaking news. Ooh, breaking news. Yeah, breaking news on the show today. We've got IndyCar Silly Season news that has just been confirmed. Yay. Marcus Eric. Erickson will join Chip Ganassi Racing in a third car Ooh. for 2020. Ooh. He will join Felix Rosenquist and Scott Dixon. Oh, wow. Did not see that coming. Well, I think, I don't know. Did I? I didn't see Marcus Erickson going to a third car there anyway. So I didn't see co- Ganassi ever opening up a third car again, but here well, we are. I think it was kind of uh, being questioned in the James Hinchcliffe deal. Would he go to a third car at Chip to keep in the Honda camp? Uh, I remember that conversation come up a, a month or so ago. Um, but this is, that's, that's, that's big news right there. So I wonder who will, who will be in the, uh, McLaren aero car next year. And, and is Connor Daly's name back in the car. If they were thinking that Marcus was going to return, uh, with, cause I think Daly ruled himself out there about a week ago. It, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens because I know that, uh, I don't know about Hinch's long-term long-term likelihood at Schmidt-Peterson because I've read a lot of things that say that Arrow was not happy with James Hinchcliffe appearing in the ESPN body issue. So Mm. much so that they were very displeased to see their car and parts of their name be mentioned in the story and things Mm. like that. Mm. Very, very interesting 
thing that could play out in that situation. Um, don't know. I don't know if, you know, he That's could even true. be coming back to to um, to where he is, to, to Schmidt-Peterson. He could end up going somewhere else. Now, where would he go? That is the, good, that is the question. And then the bigger question remains, what does this McLaren-Schmidt-Peterson situ- situation yield where, you know, now they went from having two drivers to possibly nobody but they've got a sign before the uh, beginning of the season. Yeah, so yeah. Just, that's it. But but that's not been confirmed. You know, for all intents and purposes, James Hinchcliffe will be racing for Aero Schmidt Peterson McLaren. Something to think season. about, though. It's something but, to think about. Yeah, we don't know. It's still 2019. It's not yet 2020 yet. Oh yeah, we got we got we got a long time before the the season in March. Long yeah, time. IndyCar's uh, off season is a bit ridiculous. Um, it feels like the IndyCar season go comes and goes like that. And it does. It does. Oh, they got to fix that, dude. We should still be racing by now. We should still be racing. Yeah, Miles doesn't want to compete against the NFL. They should start in February. They need to start like in February, and then if they end in late September, I think that's still solid. And start you, the week after the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, well, yeah, that that'd be fine. Be good. Start the week after the Super Bowl during that lull period. Yeah. Um, well, NASCAR NASCAR started the Daytona 500 back. NASCAR moved it back to the President's Day weekend, which is where it should have been. Well, right now, the uh, way it is, you got the Super Bowl, and then the weekend after Clash, and the weekend after that is the Daytona 500. They could start the Clash weekend, and they could maybe do like a. I don't know if they if they wanted to open up the season on an international setting or not, but probably you know, not. You know, would have been awesome. What's that? If they would just be able to go to our featured racetrack. That would be true too. That would be nice. We should probably get it at upshift and downshift because I know yeah. I know we just had some breaking news. We're talking about IndyCar now, but yeah, yeah, let's talk. Boy, let's get I, the upshift, we can go on, on all day about that. So anyway, <laughs> uh, let's go to the upshift and downshift questions. I already yep. went over the the rules. I hope you didn't forget because we're going to be start start playing right now. So Josh, the first question uh, today is: Talladega Super Speedway opens the brand new Talladega Garage Experience this weekend for the One Thousand Bulbs dot com Five Hundred Weekend, which is still the absolute dumbest name in sports uh close to closely followed by no actually probably closely trailing the big machine vodka 400 at the brickyard presented by florida georgia liner whatever um, <laughs> and that, that's that's equally a stupid name but anyway it features fan access to the garage area a thirty-five thousand square foot open air social club a watch zone which a with a large video board a pit road club a game zone a beer garden beer and the celebration plaza where fans can be in victory lane with the winning driver and team do you upshift or downshift on this latest fan enhancement for talladega josh i mean how do you not upshift right how do you not um as i'm going through my pictures here i'm going to pull it up here um and hopefully i can find it um for the fan you gotta pay a ticket to get into this um it's not like indianapolis where you can go below a tunnel and you can get into it that way so here you go um you got a three-day package friday saturday and sunday adult 13 up is 149 bucks Kids 12 and under 59 in military first responders are 95 bucks. And then they have two day packages, Sunday only packages, Saturday and Friday only packages as well. And the prices decrease according 
Um, so this is a ticket. You get you get your own spot out, out there. You know that's where you hang out. That's where you watch the race. I don't know if this is geared towards more where uh, you know they got the huge campground in the infield, and you know that's a party in itself uh, at Talladega. But this is an upshift. This is awesome. You know, there's garage access. I think you have access to 22 Cup Series garages um, in that area. This this social club. It, it's a it's nice. I have to say, I think this is the direction. If you have the space to do it, which when I think about NASCAR tracks, Daytona, Talladega, Indianapolis, Pocono, but I don't think Pocono would do it. Michigan, Fontana are probably the, the, the they are the biggest tracks and they have the biggest infields and they have the ability to do this. You're not going to see this happen at Dover, right? It's just not going to happen. There's not enough room at Dover. Um, even though Dover did update their garages this past weekend, let's say that and, and, they updated it for uh, a brand new cup garage and little fan, fan access. So that's good. Um, but yeah, this is this, this is the future folks. This is the future. I mean, the way it, I can guarantee you that the, the tracks I mentioned are all looking at this. Um, and you can bet that, you know, Fontana and I think Indianapolis are probably up at the top of that list of, okay, what, what can we do next? I am Rob. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If I'm Doug Bowles and you know, you're thinking about the, uh, the hundredth and 10th, Indianapolis 500 coming up. I think I might go to Talladega this weekend and see what's going on in the in this new Talladega Garage experience and and see what I if there's anything I can incorporate into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, and actually, if I'm any track president, track operator uh, who who has an Indy car, NASCAR day, heck, why not even Formula One? Uh, but I would be going here and seeing what's going on. What can we do? Um, because this is the future. It's all about engaging fans, keeping fans uh, at the track, and 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 going to appearances, enjoying the race. And this gives you a multiple different ways to view the race as well. And plus, with the Celebration Plaza, you're able to get fans there and celebrate with the fans. Even though I still believe all of Victory Lane celebration should be on the front stretch in front of the fans, because you can put fans involved. Uh, but this is a good second place compared to, I think, what it was before. So upshift for me, it's an easy upshift. It's so easy that I just broke the gear shift. Uh, Rob, what, what's your thought? You know, I think it's an interesting concept. Uh, I really a lot of these um, these tracks making efforts to improve the fan experience. I feel like that's a very important thing that we need to do, especially in an era where, you know, the attendance just quite isn't what it used to be. Uh, and I think it's important to make a lot of these racetracks have more of a tourist appeal. Yeah. You know, if you can go there and it can be kind of like a party, but you can also watch the race, you can have watch the race and have a good time at the same, you know, without probably sitting in the baking heat or sitting in one place, you know, because some people don't like doing that. Some people like to, you know, they don't have the attention span to be able to do that like maybe you or I do. Uh, you know, they'd probably prefer to be out in the infield watching a little bit of the race, but at the same time, you know, having some fun, ex- enjoying the experience. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to have to give it a good upshift because I feel like it's a great thing. Uh, it, 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 it opens up a lot of different possibilities for, um, you know, future tracks to maybe come up with a similar type of idea we've seen certain tracks do this you know las vegas has been interested in las vegas has done some pretty cool things i know texas has done some pretty cool things daytona richmond did their update last year or did it it debuted last fall i Mm -hmm. think 
Yeah, you can't forget about the Richmond updates and all that stuff. You know, it's it's just it's a really good thing. It's a good thing to see. So I'm I'm happy about it. Uh, so that's that's where I'm gonna come from. So the next yeah. question we're gonna move on here to is gonna be Alex Bowman spoke with the media this past weekend about the water throwing incident we talked about last week with Bubba Wallace. Uh, Bowman said, "I don't think it was a, as big of a deal as everybody made it out to be." Uh, was the responses by fans, media, and NASCAR by the water throwing incident blown out of proportion? Upshift or downshift on that one, Josh? Before I ask that, it was also kind of funny to see Corey LaJoy jokingly throw water on his face. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Funny. Was but anyway, was. Um, Josh, what, do you, what what's your take on that? Do you upshift or downshift on uh, on on Bowman's comments? I do upshift on it. I think. I, I, I think it was blown out of proportion by a lot of people and a lot of different groups. I think, I think if this is just Bowman sitting down, I, I, I don't think it's a big deal. But it's because, uh, forgive me, I don't remember the AMR doctor's name, and, and, and Jeff Gordon was there, and then someone else got hit with All three of those people got hit with water when it was intended for Alex Bowman. Um, I think that's where people had issues. And it was, and it was the, that he was in a medical condition that wasn't, hundred percent. So, but in general, I think it was over, overblown. I think a lot of people were, there's a lot of negative comments on Twitter and a lot of necessary backlash on Bubba Wallace that was completely unwarranted. Um, you know, the guy made a mistake and I, he kind of, he doesn't regret throwing water on Bowman, but he regrets that other people got hit. Um, but still, I think it was a complete overreaction. So, yeah, I upshift with him, and I agree. I'm glad he said it, so, you know, maybe people will drop it. Well, you know, I thought it was – we talked about it last week, how we thought it was over to overblown, and I still stand by that. I still think it was overblown. I think people made a, made a mountain out of a molehill. Um, you know, you didn't see Alex Bowman – trashing Bubba on Twitter. You didn't no. see him, you know, going after him, lashing out or anything like that. So it seemed like no. to me that he was like, yeah, okay. And like I said last week, you know, what's wrong with pouring water on a guy who's already dehydrated and suffering from heat exhaustion? Who cares? If anything, you helped him out. As long as it's cold water. As long as it's cold water. Down. Right. So, yeah, no. I, I'm going to keep it short and simple. I think it was way overblown. I think Bowman saying – Speaking his mind, saying it was overblown, is it means that it was overblown, guys. I mean, I, I, I understand, I understand why people would get up, up in it's arms an, about it. It's, it's we're in 2019. Thing. We're in 2019. We're in a PC culture. You know, people are very conscious about that. Yeah. But at the same think time, think it, you have to understand that these are two guys that are heated and intense already. And if the worst thing that happens is you get water thrown in the face, let's just be glad he didn't go right in there and sock him in the face. Yeah, exactly. I, I just think it's it's the way the whole situation is laid out. And, and again, I, I think I, I said a couple times, it's the optics of it that I think a lot of people had issues with. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Um, so that, that question is could probably be put to rest now. Uh, so Kyle Busch is now on a 16 race winless streak. Can you? Call that a winless streak? I've been, I'm on a 16 race winless streak. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, for crying out loud, man, holy cow. His last victory was at Pocono in June. Yeah, seriously. Jimmy Johnson hasn't won since like 2017. Give him a June break. of 2017. It's been too long. Does Kyle Busch win again in 2019? What do you think, Josh? You're going to say yes, <sighs> or no, you're going to. 
Down I think to. you're. I think you're crazy not to upshift. Now I don't. I don't know what that is. The, the team in the summer was running really well. This didn't win, and then recently they haven't ran very well. Haven't put a place together. I mean, this week they finished rather rather well compared to how they ran in the beginning of the race. So that's a good step, you know. I mean, that shows that you keep fighting. I think you have to upshift. I think you have to upshift. I just I just don't know how you don't how you say Kyle Busch doesn't win again. So uh, him and Adam Stevens are too good of a, of a pairing not to, not to win this year. So I don't know. I'm going to upshift. He wins again. Well, I, I think, you know, there's still good. There's still tracks coming up that Kyle Busch has done well on. Kyle Busch can win. Um, he's good at Texas. He's good at ISM. You know, he's good at, uh, I, I think he's good at Homestead. Um, you know, he's, he's, I don't know. He's Talladega's a crapshoot. Kansas, well, he's had bad luck at Kansas for a long time, but now he's suddenly gotten good luck at Kansas. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think that uh, I think that he will win. I think that it's entirely plausible that he will win again. I'm not counting it out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and upshift. Uh, that seems pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, and then and then move on to one of the biggest to- topics I think from the weekend that I think both of us really want to want to hit on here. Um, and, and I feel like it's important for the two of us to hit on this real quick, uh, is the pa- this past week, NASCAR uh, unveiled the revamped ARCA series, uh, and kind of did away with the K&N series, uh, and made them into ARCA series. Uh, there will be four championships, the ARCA Menard series, ARCA Menard series West, ARCA Menard series East, and ARCA Racing series Showdown. The latter will compete within the ARCA Menard series schedule and will feature the best from the other three divisions. East and West divisions will be uh, will see schedules reduced to six to eight races each. While the Arkham Menard series will remain at twenty races, do you upshift or downshift on these changes, Josh? Well, first of all, with all the changes that were made and announced and not announced, right now I'm in neutral. I like that the Arca series or the Arkham name is alive and well. And I don't know if they got did away with the KN series necessarily. They just kind of re- rebranded them. Um, which I guess you could say I don't know what, how the Canaan sponsorship. I don't know if the Canaan sponsorship was going somewhere else, or or how how all that's going, or if the deal was expired. I haven't seen anything on that. Um, I I don't like that you have. You know, it it just seems like the way they're talking and the way the schedule. They said the tracks that are listed out. It seems like you're going to have three championships competing at the same time. You're not going to have like a clear-cut champion before you start racing another championship. I don't like that. I I I think they would have been better well served to create an East, Central, and West division, and then have a, the Arca Racing, um, racing showdown with the final ten races of the year, and have like the the the, the divisions be, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of ten races each. Um, it, it just, that kind of bugged me a little bit, uh, when they unveiled this, I think it was about a year ago, actually, they unveiled what they were thinking about and what they unveiled a year ago and what they have now is very similar. Um, I, I like that again, I like that the Arcade name is still alive and well, that's good. Big check. Um, I think this will work better if you up the minimum age, of the truck series to 18, I, it'll work better. You have more guys competing down there. Um, because they can't compete in the truck series, right? Mm, um, I, yeah, no, I don't I, think so. huh? No, I, I was, I was just 
Yeah. Continue. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's just... I, I, I think it's going to be confusing when you look at it where you're going to sell the East and West championships going at least to August, and you're starting a, a, a showdown championship with the best of those series when you haven't even crowned a champion for those yet, series yet. So for that, I don't like that, and I don't like the reduction in races necessarily because I think you 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 could still incorporate you know about at least 10, maybe nine or 10 races in, in each of those divisions. But I think the big part about this is I make a lot of traditionalists happy. I know I'm ranting here is that the Arkham Menard series will still be the Arkham Menard series with a 20 race schedule and won't be broken up. And maybe that's what they were trying to avoid doing. I don't know. Um, but it, 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 it seemed on Twitter from what I've seen, it really was a mixed bag of feelings on, on this. And as of course, that's going to be, I think the only thing that people agreed on, was the North Wilkesboro stuff. <laughs> I think that's the only thing people agreed on on Twitter this week um, and maybe this year. So I'm ranting on here. I kind of been neutral. Depending upon what changes are made will depend upon if I go up or down. So Rob, take it away. Okay, so I'm going to take it away. I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I, you know, I, I don't understand it. I'm like you in that there's certain things that I don't quite understand how it's going to work yet. Um, I don't understand quite about the championships. There's certain things that I just flat don't understand, and no matter how much I read, no matter how much I try to understand, it, it, it seems to become even harder and harder to, to really figure yeah. it out. Um, but overall, you know, I agree with a lot of your points in that you know, I think it's great that they're keeping the Arkan name. Uh, I think that that's really important. I was really worried to see. I was really worried about if the Arkan name was going to disappear. Uh, thankfully, it's not. It's weird though to see it be it be branched off into several different. I feel like it's been spun off into, and then they only have a few few races. I think that kind of is lame, but. At the same time, I feel like it does bring stability and equality to KNN and ARCA, bringing them together and saying, yeah, you guys can run these regional races, but then there's also going to be a national tour where you can run as well. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lot more hesitant. I'll, I'll have to see what happens next season. Yeah, um, um, I'm, okay. I'm going more into neutral because I think we're just going to have to wait and see how it turns out. I don't really think I can formulate a solid opinion until I see how it works in practice. I think this would have been a lot clearer. I, I get why they wanted to announce it now, but this would have been a lot clearer if they had schedules completed and released at the same time and we're going through um, and maybe talking about how this is going to work and we see a schedule, we're able to visualize what the, what the year will look like. I don't know if that helps change opinions. I don't know if that helps change my opinion. Um, honestly, I could probably say probably not, but you know, it, it just, like I said, it's a little confusing. We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I, I, I would like to have seen a schedule myself. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Moving on here. Speaking of ARCA, we're going to talk about the rest of the best. There was an ARCA race over the weekend. Uh, at Lucas Oil Raceway. Unfortunately, I said last week I wanted to go out to it. I was not able to. Family came first. Um, Got to go spend time with family instead. But I, I was able to watch a little bit of it. Not all of it, but I was able to watch a little bit of it. Um, 
Chandler Smith won the raid shortened hers potato chips 200 at Lucas Oil Raceway on Saturday night. The race was dominated by Ty Gibbs, who was sent into the wall when Joe Craft Jr. was on fresher tires, drove hard into turn one, and slid up into the track into Gibbs. His day was over, and the field came down for fresh tires. Christian Eckes took the lead from Graf on the restart, but was passed by Smith uh, two laps before the caution was displayed for rain. Uh, again, rain affecting this race bums me out. It's like three years in a row. I'm tired of it. Yeah. Sam Mayer, Corey Heim, and Haley Deegan rounded out the top five. Michael Sell finished sixth, giving Christian Eckes now a 20-point lead with one race to go at Kansas Speedway in two weeks. Uh, on the k East side, another racing season concluded on Friday when the k Pro Series East took to the track. For the final time in 2019, the General Tire 125 was run- won by Sam Mayer, who led 123 of 125 laps. Mayer was also crowned the champion by simply taking the green flag. He becomes the num- youngest NASCAR champion in history at 16 years, 3 months, and 8 days, eclipsing the 2016 record of Todd Gilliland who was 16 years and 5 months old when he won the first West Series championship. The championship is GMS Racing's first in the Canon CE Series. Mayer had 4 wins, 11 top 5s, 11 top 10s in his 12-race season. Uh, also interesting of note, uh, today NASCAR is testing the next-gen car, formerly known as the Gen 7, on this uh, this week at Richmond Raceway, and uh, today and tomorrow. So Tuesday and Wednesday, the car will have a generic body and was built by RCR and Austin Dillon will drive the car. NASCAR says that this will be the most technologically advanced vehicle in NASCAR history while returning to the, quote, stock car look. It is also said to give drivers more control and placing a larger emphasis on strategies and car setups. We can One can only hope that there's some kind of something leads us into a low downforce. Yeah, and I hope there's no splitter. We'll see I hope there's no splitter, too. I think yeah. every driver I've ever heard just hates the dang thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway. It's not, it's not my f- favorite part of the car, that's for sure. No, it's Hashtag. not my favorite part either. I think it's the worst-looking part of the car. I think it makes the car look awful, and it doesn't even make the car look like a race car. And if it's not, if you're lying to return the car to stock-looking, I don't see a car on the track. On the road, yeah. Yeah, on the road, excuse me, that, that has, a, has a splitter. You so. know, my car uh, does, is not, it's not glued to the ground. My car is actually, um, you know, a couple of inches off the ground, which yeah. is how cars are supposed to be. Five by five uh, rule. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Let's talk about something good. Let's talk about something good. Let's get into our <laughs> featured racetrack of the day, which is one of my favorite racetracks, one of my favorite tracks to drive, to look at. I've I've not visited it, but I've seen it from a bus before. It was awesome. Uh, I love it. Josh, please tell us all about this beautiful, beautiful racetrack that sadly met its demise. Yeah. So you said that you saw it from a bus is that what you said? You saw when you were on a bus? Yeah, I was on the okay. bus. We were we were going in to... I'm not going to give it away, but, yeah. you know... You were going to where you were going? To, to the destination, and uh, I got to pass by it. Uh, I thought it was really, really cool. I, yeah, I it saw really it cool. myself in 2004 on a trip to this location. Which is interesting, because I was also there in 2004. Oh, man, we, this is weird, man. We have too many things that are, that are uncommon like that. I think so. So, yeah. uh, so anyways... What do you think about, this is going to give it away, Disney World, you probably aren't thinking about a racetrack, but one did exist right next to the main parking lot for Magic Kingdom, nicknamed the Mimic Yard. Today's featured racetrack is Walt Disney World Speedway. Uh, it, was, uh, it came about because of a partnership between the Walt Disney Company and IMS Events Incorporated, a subsidiary of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Ground broke in 1995 and hosted its first race 
and the Indy Racing League's first ever race on January 27th, 1996. The Indy 200 at Walt Disney World. Buddy Lazier and Tony Stewart led early, but Buzz Calkins led, led 130 of the final 135 laps and won. Tony Stewart finished second. That was also his first race uh, in the open wheel. Uh, Calkins would later be co-champions in the three-race season with Scott Sharp. Uh, while being interviewed, instead of there being like a monster energy girl, the Firestone tire mascot, Calkins was flanked by Mickey Mouse himself, which I thought that was kind of unique. Which, hey man, I want a Mickey Mouse uh, guy, a guy in a Mickey Mouse suit to congratulate me in Victory Lane. I, that's yeah. just me. Yeah. I think that'd be way cooler than uh, like a, a guy in another mascot costume or even a, a pretty lady. I would, I would actually take the Mickey Mouse every day. <laughs> well, it, it's, it adds that little flavor, that that Disneyification to the race. So that was. That was interesting when I went back and watched the interview there. Uh, one of the major issues at the track, however, that it was only built for $6 million, which seems really low. When you look yeah, at it was tracks, like the cheapest investment that Disney has ever made, probably. Yeah, when you look at tracks like, uh, granted, they're, they're, they're bigger, but Las Vegas, Kansas Auto Club, I mean, they're millions and millions of dollars, $6 million. Uh, there was no garages, and most of the infield was not blacktopped, and it was grass. Um so this left like little room for teams and race officials, and there were no permanent bleachers or suites for shareholders and corporate sponsors to sit in and watch the race. No permanent ones, anyways. It was um, a bare bones racetrack. Bare bones. It was basically racetrack, and that was it. So in 1997, though, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series raced one week week before the IRL race on January 19th. Uh, that race was dominated by Jack Sprague, but a last lap incident. With Joe Rutman. Uh, he was leading, and Rutman tagged the left rear of Sprague's truck and sent him around and turned one, and he finished 15th. Rutman uh, went on to win the race. So he only led three laps of that race, but Sprague was very disappointed in, uh, in, in that finish. The IRL race that year was range shortened and won by Eddie Cheever Jr. Uh, that race, Tony Stewart led 131 of the 149 laps that were completed. Uh, but he spun and, and he had an oil leak and his day was over before the race was actually completely called off. Um, NASCAR brought the trucks back in 1998, uh, which was the final time stock cars competed uh, on, on the track. Ron Hornet Jr. won the race over la- the previous year's winner, Joe Rutman. Sprague, who looked to avenge on what he called the most frustrating racing experience to that point, uh, he finished fourth. The downfall to the truck series at Disney World wasn't the racing. The racing was actually pretty good. And the fans, it wasn't a fans coming out issue. But both races, there was a lengthy break between that race, which was the opener for the 97 and 98 seasons, and the next race. Uh, it was in, uh, fell in between the middle of the low time for Walt Disney World, and they wanted to bring people to the to the track. Um, and in 1997, they didn't race uh, again until March 1st at Tucson. And in 1998, it was way worse. They raced, uh, the truck series raced on January 18th, but didn't race again until April 4th at Homestead. So you have That's this huge. terrible. Yes, you have a huge break in between race one and race two. And, and, and again, the IRL is the same way, way. That's why they raced in January because Disney World wanted to have, bring people out. Um, during the low season, they, they had special packages for race fans, for hotels, and also park admission. And Disney said they, they were bought. And many people who came to the track were actually from the Midwest for the IRL race anyways. So uh, 
you know, in that sense, it worked. And, and for the low parts, it did work. Um, but that's why the truck series never returned. Um, it was part because of their schedule. There are the number of races they had in the schedule um, and the, the length in between the two races. Um, for the IRL, Tony Stewart would finally get his win after two really kind of disappointing races. Um, he won in 1998 and then Eddie Cheever returned in 1999. Both those races saw an event high of 28 competitors and was the opening race for both seasons that year, or those years. Um, on January 6, 2000, just a few weeks before the IRL season opener uh, for the Indy 200 at, at Walt Disney World, uh, Shan Smith was testing at the track, and he crashed. And this is the crash that is, uh, you know, how he injured himself. He, he, he uh, fractured and severed his spine between the third and fourth vertebrae. He spent five months on a respirator and... That's what caused him to be a, a quadriplegic he is today. But he is a team owner, as you, as if you're listening, you know, um, he is an Indy car owner, as we've already mentioned his name today, with a related to the breaking news. Uh, but he also uh, started the Sam Schmidt Paralysis Foundation in 2000 with the goal of finding a cure for paralysis. And and he and I watched a video and to walk again, and he's he, he's determined to find a cure. Um, so that's good. He's, he had, didn't break his spirits. Uh, 23 days later. Uh, Robbie Buell won the 2000 event and is his second and final IRL victory. That would prove to be the final competitive race, major race at uh, Walt Disney World Speedway because IRL and the Walt Disney World uh, Company could not come to an agreement for the 2001 date. Um, and the only mainstay left at the track was the Richard Petty driving experience, which came to the track in 1997 and would really be the only thing at the track for the next. 15 years. Um, they never invest, invested in safer barriers, so it wasn't attractive for even a return for any for IRL or uh, NASCAR, because they didn't have that, um, and they never invested in the track itself, uh, never improved on the facilities. Um, and with that, the Walt Disney Company announced in early 2015 that the Speedway would close by June of, uh, by June of that year. However, it didn't actually happen until August. Uh, they announced the grounds would be used for transportation improvements, which came by uh, virtue of extended, uh, extending and uh, enlarging the parking lots there that are known as the Mulan and Ursula parking lots uh, there at Magic Kingdom, as well as a new access road, which most of that kind of dips into what was turn three, the front stretch and turn one today. Um, some of the grass that was in the infield still remains, as well as the Mickey mouse-shaped uh, pond, uh, the head of Mickey, the, 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 the logo and, and icon we're so familiar with. It's still there, but it's deteriorating, and it hasn't been maintained. Um, quite sad, because I think that's even cool by itself, whether there's a racetrack there or not. Um, I think that would have been kind of a cool little park water feature, but this never happened. Um, and like I mentioned, this, it just... You know, limited research, I couldn't find why NASCAR didn't return um, or, you know, in 1999, even with a better date. Um, I thought to myself, like, there's a low period between, I think it's like September through November. There's, it's kind of a low period for Disney. I'm like, why not go to Florida with a truck series for the season finale, you know, in November, whether that's late October at that time, the truck series was ending around late October. Why not go in early November? And in the race, uh, the season there, uh, but it didn't happen. Uh, they and, and they left before safer barriers were a thing, so that wasn't the problem. Um, it's very interesting. Um, and when you 
and we look at the site from the imagery, like I, like I said, you can you can really see the the transition that the, that the land has gone through uh, since it was torn down in 2015 and 2016. Uh, really quite sad uh, because it was in a great location. It just the stars were all added up. It's just Disney decided that this was going to be the lowest investment of their life, and really, I don't know how much they uh, truly cared about it. Um, it just seems like it was a though it was a perfect match. You know, you can bring people in, watch a race. You can get that casual walk-up fan, like, "Hey, let's go to a race today." There's a race happening. You, the racing series there um, through the winter time or something. But I don't know. It just seemed it's a sad story for sure. Racing reference Auto Week, the Orlando Sentinel, Indianapolis Star, Tampa Bay Times, and Tampa Bay Tribune helps me compile the information for today's featured racetrack, Rob. Sad fate for a track that was very unique. It was so unique. And one of the coolest aspects I think about Walt Disney World Speedway is, you know, like you mentioned, just how little money they really put into this uh, this track. And for a small amount, as little of an investment that it was, is I actually have to say that I think they did a really good job creating a, a, a challenging technical racetrack yeah. that was fun to watch, created and had good and exciting racing. And, you know, do I think that they probably could have invested a little bit more money into it and made it, you know, a permanent feature? Absolutely. But also at the same time, I remember that they should not have picked the place that they did to build it. Yes, uh, they probably well, they would have been better to... off building it somewhere else. Because even I remember, you know, like I was saying, we, we shuttled into a bus uh, there. You know, it, you can see it from the Magic Kingdom. You could see it. You could see it uh, driving up. Uh, one of the shuttle buses at Walt Disney World um, going into the Magic Kingdom. But yeah, definitely. There's just way they, they, they needed more parking there. And that we'll was one of the major the... problems too was uh, parking for the track and parking for the, the, the Magic Kingdom for the park itself was just a complete disaster. There were some places or some people who would have to park far away and then take a bus into the magic kingdom in order to actually go to the race so they'd have they were then entirely reliant on the bus schedule coming back in order to get to their car uh from the race so parking was just a complete disaster traffic was a complete disaster uh really they needed to move it they really needed to have built the track in a, in a different place uh so it's, it's very it's very sad but you know it was kind of one of those situations where i feel like when they were building it they knew that there was no way this track was going to last it's a miracle that it lasted as long as it did after competitive racing left um i'm glad that it did i wish i every day i had a chance to drive the track but then again it probably would have felt weird not seeing any grandstands or anything because you know like you mentioned all of the seating was uh was was not permanent they would just move the grandstands in whenever there was an event and then remove them when the event was done kind of like they do at the bc39 uh, they they have the scaffolding go up and then they tear it all down when when the season's over. It's very uh, sad. But it's like I think like they like you said. I think you said they built it on like the they want they didn't want to build new utilities. That's why they mm-hmm. chose the site that they did. I'm like you. How much money are you making? You can't. You know, and you yeah, have they were making gr- pretty decent money. Hey, I have all this ground in the Orlando area. You know, somewhere else, you can buy this huge chunk of land right beside here and. And and tap on the utilities that on this site. I don't know. It's very. It's just um, 
like you said, uh, I don't know how long it would have lasted if it remained on the on the truck schedule. Um, based on how Disney cheat, uh, or treated the track, they may never put safer barriers in, and therefore NASCAR wouldn't have kept a truck date there um, for the time. So it's definitely very sad. Um, again, unique, and I like unique. I like variety. And uh, Walt Disney World certainly checked those boxes. That I know of, the only official race to have the, the, the only official game to have ever been released that will allow you to race at Walt Disney World Speedway is Indy Racing 2000 on the Nintendo 64. However, if you have NR2003, you can download a great version of it. John Norton made a fantastic version of Walt Disney World Speedway. And it's quite interesting if you want to drive it ever sometime. Um, turn 3 is so interesting because you can take it full throttle uh, almost in whatever car you're driving in, if you're in an Indy car, or if you're in a stock truck, uh, that's what's kind of interesting about it is that, you know, you actually have a, a turn that you can take full throttle. Uh, it's, it's just a very interesting track where you're, you know, turn one is so he- highly banked and you think, Oh, I should be able to go through this, you know, full throttle. But the reality is you can't. Uh, and then you have a kink on the backstretch into turn two, which, you know, is, is, uh, actually, you don't even really need to brake. You could just let off the gas uh, into that corner, and then turn three, you could take full throttle if you get a really, really good entry to that corner. So just overall, a, a really interesting track from a driver's standpoint. Um, just very sad to see its demise, but you know it was probably inevitable, and people probably knew it was inevitable back then. So yeah, just just thank you so much for that, Josh. I'm so glad that we got to listen to that, and, and I'm so glad that hopefully some of our listeners have learned some things. I've learned some things. And here in our last, oh, say, two or mi- two or so minutes, let's go ahead and take a look at what's in the windshield. There are a number of races uh, coming up this weekend for everyone to follow. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season concludes this weekend with its Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta. Uh, also, the famous Winchester 400 is this Sunday at Winchester Speedway in Winchester, Indiana. Uh, one of the most prestigious uh, late model races, in, uh, I believe, in country (laughs) right now um and i believe if i've heard correctly uh justin haley is going to be there yes justin haley is going to be racing there so last couple of seasons last uh season or two seasons ago i know noah gregson won it uh and then last season there were a couple of i know harrison burton ran it yeah uh, and i know steve wallace was in it for for a little bit too so some nascar alums uh, will be in the uh, Winchester 400 this weekend. Uh, Formula One returns to Suzuka Circuit uh, on Sunday for the 17th race of the 2019 season. If they get it, if they get it going, yes. I mean, you've seen all those cyclones and typhoons that are going on right now uh, in, in in Japan. So you know, we're hoping that everybody over there is okay, uh, but wondering too if we're even going to be able to have a race. Mercedes has won. Uh, five straight, and Lewis Hamilton has won four of them. Sebastian Vettel needs to win and to have Lewis Hamilton have a low points day for him to have any shot at still being within striking distance of the championship. On Saturday, the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series returns and kicks off the round of six after a three-week absence at Talladega Super Speedway. Brett Moffitt is 23 points to the good. Austin Hill is six. Chastain is five. Stuart Friesen is plus three. Matt Crafton is three below the good. And Tyler Ankrum is nine below the cut line. Uh, No remaining playoff drivers have won at Talladega, but GMS Racing has won two of the past three. And of course, someone could play a spoiler and prohibit a driver from securing a ticket to Homestead. Uh, The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series races at Talladega as well. Thank goodness. I love Talladega. 
It is a big weekend. Thank goodness. We love Talladega. Playoff grid will have uh, to survive 500 miles of bumper-to-bumper, three-wide racing. Ford has won five straight fall Talladega races. Ford has a couple of strong super speedway racers in their camp who hope to make it six in a row. Chevrolet has won the last has last one in 2013 with Jamie McMurray, and Toyota's only win in the fall Talladega race was not even really a win. Yeah, when Tony Stewart forced Regan Smith below the yellow line to quote unquote win the race. Um, Chase Elliott did, however, win at Talladega. It was not the fall race, but he did win the spring race this week year. So that was a Chevrolet win, but Chevrolet uh, not having good luck in the fall race. Like I said, J.B. McMurray being the last Chevrolet driver to win the fall race at Talladega in 2013. Xfinity Series and Arkham Menard Series will return in two weeks at Kansas, uh, and it will be the first race, the round of eight for the Xfinity Series and championship designing race for Arca. And so that looks like it is going to be all for today's show. Uh, we really thank you all for for tuning in and listening and, and so much and thank you and, and be sure to tune in next next week. Uh, we we do these every Tuesday uh, and we release them every Tuesday. So be sure to follow our Twitter account at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds if you haven't already, to get updates on when we release a new episode. Uh, so yeah, we just wanted to have uh, we just wanted to thank you all for joining and listening again today. Uh, uh, we really appreciate it, and we hope that you tune in uh, next week, and we will see you all later. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Racing with Robin Ruler podcast. Everybody, enjoy your week.